Hello, and thank you for joining us this month on the Alderaan Games podcast. This episode is a Q&A session we did with Joss Spicer of Game Wisdom. It is an excerpt of his podcast titled The Pros and Cons of Platform Creation with Path the Titans. It was recorded on November 12th, 2019. We hope you enjoy. All right, so I have a few questions. I'm sure we'll get some more from chat. I see Char already asked one. So I guess one thing that I was thinking about, again, you said in terms of development that you started the game about two years ago. How long have you been working on the launcher itself for? So... We we had a game called Breaking Point that we're working on. That it's a bigger scope of a game, so it's like a survival game kind of thing. And we didn't really have the budget to finish it, so we wanted to move pause it and move over to a smaller game. And because we we're thinking in the multi-game territory, we we're thinking about okay, if we make this platform, it's going to be for multiple games. Okay. If you're making one game it's incredibly not worth it to just make a whole platform for one game, right? Yeah. So we're, we're thinking over the next decade, all these costs and benefits added up kind of thing. So we're thinking multiple games, shared platform, shared purchases. So it started making more sense. So the platform's about two years. Path of Titans is about a year. Okay. And that kind of answers Shark's questions as well. That Oh, actually, will there be any thoughts about making the launcher like public or allowing people to make use of so, the code we have thought about it right so some some options we've thought about was what if we we could either provide a solution for our platform to give to other developers like hey here's our platform you can license it for this much and you can mm-hmm. either get your own launcher and your own games and host it all yourself or hey you can go on our platform right but the as soon as you start getting into the platform wars, you start competing with Steam and Epic and Valve, and we're not necessarily interested in competing against them. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, for the launcher, we have Connor. Like, Battle.net, they have 21 people, right? So it's like, it's that kind of a scale of a problem. Yeah. We also didn't want to necessarily completely move away from game development. Like, if we we would probably move over to being a, like, being more like Valve only making Steam and not making games, and I love making games, so I didn't necessarily (laughs) want to move over to something I didn't want to actually do, right? Yeah, and everyone is still... We're all still waiting for Half-Life 3 at some point, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, like, Valve makes really amazing games, you know, but, like, the obviously Steam's a really big thing, and that's kind of, like, taken over priority. Mm -hmm. So, I guess a few questions for me... Uh, earlier or a few minutes ago, you mentioned, of course, one of the challenges of having a launcher in terms of kind of like consumer loyalty. And I think that's a very interesting challenge. It's one that, again, that we're seeing kind of being developed over the Epic and Steam the debate. That if I really like all the features on Steam and your game is only available on Epic or Origin or whatever other platform and you don't have those features, you know... Um, even if your game is good, it still feels like you're getting the raw end of the deal. Exactly, right? So one of the approaches is like Subnautica took, which was like, release your game on as many platforms as possible. That's it. On all of them, right? Yeah. That's probably the best choice for the consumer. It's on everything. It's great. Um, but you have a lot of work as a developer okay, if you for a multiplayer cross-platform game, okay, the update's on Steam, but it's not on Epic yet, or the update's on console, but it's not on Steam yet. Yeah. And we have to, as developers, sync up every single version of the game mm-hmm. to be in sync, right? So, like, for example, if we release it on Discord as well, 
we now have to release updates on Discord and they have to be exactly in sync with our launcher mm-hmm. or Steam or Epic, and then you can have a worse experience, right? So one of the problems we had was with Steam was uh, when an update came out, not everyone saw the update right away. People like spamming our announcements like, hey, where's the update? Where's the update? Where's the update? Oh, restart Steam, try to do this, try to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the future, we can actually have the update like Battle.net you pre-download the update before it comes out and then it's synchronized and then everyone can play without having to download it. Another concept was we can patch the game without you needing to restart it. So like a hot reload kind of situation where we can patch a new dinosaur in with our platform and launcher. You don't actually log out, restart the server, restart the game kind of thing. And it's pretty standard for okay, you can't change the game files because Steam's using them, right? So mm-hmm. the approach we're taking is we can make the experience better for our game. That kind of approach. If it was worse, why would you buy a game? You'd just be like, well, it's not on Steam. I don't want to buy it, right? Yeah. And uh, getting to your point about supporting multiple platforms, I remember this was a very big issue Payday 2 ran into, that when they moved over to the console side, the console was always dragging behind the PC version. I mean, yes. not like a few weeks. I mean, it was like several months of content. Yeah, so the, the problem with that is you have to pass certification when yeah. you patch your game, right? And that could take a month or whatever it is. It could take mm-hmm. two months, right? You have to book in weeks in advance. Well, it depends on what console you're using and mm-hmm. what their policies are. Um, so that's a huge problem. The way we see it is we need to organize our patches and synchronize everything up, right? If cross-platform players to work, if one day you can't play with PC people, we could have a million players on PC. Suddenly the servers are empty because there's not enough players, right? So, And some people feel like they're getting the short end of the stick where the DLC is only on one platform yeah. or any of that stuff. So we want to synchronize everything up and be able to integrate, you know, if we do console like xbox for example sign into our platform through xbox you get everything kind of like how epic games works right now Mm -hmm. and again like these are issues that a lot of people i think don't necessarily think about when they're sitting to one platform or again multiplayer being you know you have the xbox multiplayer version you have the ps4 multiplayer version you have the pc multiplayer version and that's it yeah exactly but it's also split up between stores so yeah. like if you're on i think it's uh i can't remember the name but i think it's like uh one of the indie platforms you just upload a zip file right mm-hmm. on steam you have to run a commandlet on discord you uploaded it through <laughs> some website panel on epic games it's probably uploaded differently and they all have different versions so you might spend two weeks of your time trying to sync up all the like the patch is done critical bugs fixed <laughs> How do we actually get it out to everybody? What happens if Discord stops working one day? What are we going to do, right? Mm. How do we even give you it on Discord for free if you already own it somewhere else, right? Like, how do we give it for free on Discord if you've bought it on Steam? It's like, well, we can't. We could give you a Steam key, but it doesn't work for everything. So the bit we see is better experience, shared purchases. Mm -hmm. You buy it once, you kind of have it everywhere kind of thing. Now, here's a question I'm uh, curious about. I'm sure some of the developers watching are as well. With developing the launcher itself, were there any aspects of developing it that didn't seem like hard at the start, but proved to be a lot more challenging as you tried to implement it? So, um, 
one of the bits is obviously patching. Patching games is hard, right? So somebody could, you know, be on a remote island somewhere with a kilobyte download and they're trying to download <laughs> your game and you need a bad account for that, right? Like you need to, you have to collect a lot of data on this person can't patch, how do I fix it? So there's a lot of things like that. But once you once you get it working, generally it's okay. You don't have to touch it too much, but you need to make sure that your downloads are fast in all the regions. Someone's in China, they can still log in, they can still download it really fast, like all the regions, everything works, localization, all that kind of things. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the other things. Another thing was, um, uh, make it like people on old Windows versions, right? So the problem with <laughs> Windows is, you don't actually every single uh, Windows 10 version isn't the same, right? So you might be on 17.03. This guy might be on 17.09. This guy <laughs> might be on 18.03. This guy might have ray tracing with 18.09 or something different, right? So synchronizing windows versions isn't a thing so your game might work on one and might break on another and that's a problem even if you're not launching on your own platform so you might set up a bunch of computers or virtual machines to run your game on as many things as possible make sure it actually works for people Mm -hmm. and again like these are all very very complicated challenges that you don't really think about especially for a lot of indie devs again one of the best things about using something like Steam was the very fact that it takes care of a lot of that stuff for you. You don't need yes. to worry about patching or worrying about stuff. You just give it to Steam and then it delineates the patch out. Not yes. so much when you're doing your own thing. So the cool thing about Steam is you just upload the patch, it just works, it's fine. Mm-hmm. But we can actually optimize that experience so maybe the patch isn't... De- like Maybe the patch is downloaded while you're playing the game in the background and it's installed and you don't actually even restart the game, right? Like, that's a lot more work and that's harder, but that's just the, it's a little bit better user experience. If you're not interested in doing that, then Steam works fine, sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. I think all There's rest... payment processing, refunds, maybe we can talk about. So, um, yeah. so, positive is we can refund people for any reason. Like, we have full control over refunding people, right? So, if somebody's credit cards declined or someone wants a refund they could have 2000 hours in the game we could still refund them if we want to right if they're like i'm truly unhappy you changed your end user license agreement generally you know you get better reviews and better user experience you just give them the money back right like mm-hmm. 20 bucks is nothing to you but it's everything to someone who bought the game mm-hmm. if, you, if you get what i mean right if you've got millions of dollars 10 unhappy people once they're refunded, they go away. They don't keep complaining. Screw these developers. They took my money, X, Y, Z. Like, that's a solvable <laughs> problem to people. If you're on Steam, it's kind of like, hey, Valve, could you please refund this person? And that's a whole thing. Like, to mm-hmm. hope they actually get refunded and things like that. Oh, yes. And one thing that we were talking about uh, on our message that I think a lot of people don't also think about is the fact that when you're dealing with returns and refunds on your own side, you're also having to manage, you know, issues such as international currency, exchange rates, and yeah, that's so a very big regional deal. pricing, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, I think we had a devcast about this a while ago, but France was like, okay, you can't do region blocking or something like that, or you, you, you know, or mm-hmm. Europe's like, oh, we want our customers or or, or citizens to be able to buy the game for the same price in the other region, and it's like, well, suddenly I can't do. You regional pricing for Europe, 
mm-hmm. you know, I can for Russia, but mm-hmm. you know, so it's hard. And the problem with like supporting someone like Russia is it's the 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 lowest currency. Like you get the least amount of money because of the conversion rates. You know, if mm-hmm. you price your game at what they sell, and bandwidth is the highest price in Russia. So the U.S. people pay you the most amount of money, but you have the lowest costs in the U.S. Right. So really that US player base is really paying for other people to run the game or the platform kind of thing. And Valve just kind of like takes care of that. Mm-hmm. And again, like these are things that it, it's one of the reasons why for a lot of developers, they don't think about doing their own platform or their own launcher. Yeah, they don't even think about it being as option as like something you could even do. But, you know, the experience we're trying to create is if you have two games on Steam, right? You release game A, you release game B. It's hard to have a shared community or play base between these two games, right? Unless you, like, patch the game and you put an announcement, hey, check out game A, right? But mm-hmm. the moment we have our own platform, you know, it's not Steam users we're talking about. We're talking about our customers, right? Mm-hmm. So we have full control over giving them the best experience. Like, they're ours. Like, they don't disappear into the void, right? <laughs> like, a a customer on Google Play, for example... You don't know who they are. You don't have their email address. You don't know how to contact them. You don't know how to help them. Some of your support requests go through Google and not you. So it's it's <laughs> it's more direct. You're selling to your customer kind of kind of ways of solving the problem. Yeah, I think since Oliver came in late, um, with he asked a gameplay related question: Will fishing come out before pre-release, and will you be able to fully play the game in the pre-release? Um, yeah, so fishing obviously will be out for the pre-release. The pre-release is more kind of like a beta, but it's mm-hmm. it's focused on all those gameplay problems we spent the first hour talking about, right? So we actually need to have people play the game, catch the problems, solve them. Uh, another uh, problem I have with some games is they have a beta, and if the beta is a week before the game comes out, right? And it's like, how do you expect to fix anything? <laughs> a week before the game comes yep. out. It's a marketing beta. It's not the actual beta, right? So if you remember Fallout 76, beta's a week before it came out or something like that, and everything's broken in the beta, bad impression, everything's broken in the release, bad impression, you've just achieved nothing. Yep. But if the release is like two months away, for example, you can get a lot of stuff fixed in two months that mm-hmm. you know a marketing beta doesn't solve. Yep. So that's the idea with that kind of strategy where we have a real beta. It's not for marketing. It's for fixing problems, making the game as best as we can before it actually comes out. Because mm-hmm. another problem with the multiplayer game is when you release your game in early access, for example, you have split your game development costs in two, right? So you have one group of people that has to maintain the live version of the game and another group mm-hmm. of people would have to make new content, right? So if somebody comes in your game and maybe they hack the game and spawn in sheep or something, mm-hmm. you have to still work on expansion content and then go fix those problems and then come back. And then all your players are upset, either the hacking issue is not fixed or there's no new content. So you actually have to split into two different teams, right? Yep. So doing an early access can actually be a negative thing because it can split up all your resources to you're now maintaining the service and making the rest of the game or finishing the game. Yeah. And uh, getting back to talking more about the platform itself, Um, One thing I wanted to 
push on or one thing I wanted to elaborate for people watching. As you said, like when you were coming up with the idea for doing your launcher, you also want you were thinking about this long term. That's not just going to be for one game; it's going to be for multiple ones. I guess yeah, so. The marketing problem is like you spend so much money marketing to get one person and then they go away and you have to respend that to get another person. If you have these people, you know, in your walled garden or in your circle or whatever it is, mm -hmm. they're repeat customers. They like, oh, they value your games and there's a, there's a whole different relationship created. So that's what I'm thinking long term. Like if I do like the next my next 10 games, this will all pay off. Right, mm -hmm. doing one game, I'm probably just going to probably be a net loss. Yeah, so that's why I was thinking that um, for, like, for developers watching this or making their own games, like if they're just focusing on one single title or one single kind of content like that, it probably would be better to use one of the established engines or one of the established platforms. Yeah, exactly. But if you're thinking, hey, I'm going to be making games in the next decade long term it might actually be better to invest mm -hmm. in reusable reusable technology right so that's mm -hmm. kind of what we're doing is we're investing in our future with all this technology because it it doesn't pay for itself right away like it's a no. really long-term investment and it can be a lot better long term but it's it's not good short term if you're just making one game mm -hmm. if it's your first game like do not do this <laughs> like it won't work out but if you're like i don't have you heard of Crashlands at all I think I've heard of the game, I don't think I've played that one. So there's a group of, of developers called Butterscotch Shenanigans who make a game called Crashlands. Okay. And they make a bunch of games. And they haven't made their own platform, but they made a system called sorry, uh, Bscotch ID, right? Where mm -hmm. you could log into all their games using their kind of login system. And they shared like cloud saves between platforms and all these other features they give you. Mm -hmm. And they're trying to create a experience for people as in repeat customers right like if someone's bought your last game and they know you're a good developer they're most likely going to buy your next game right and you know if you can contact those people if you can give them a really good experience you can save so much marketing money and so much resources trying to get access to people like if you look at platforms like facebook for example you pay money to send messages to your own followers you know what I mean? Like, how much of your own followers do you want to see this thing? And that's where the real struggle comes in. But if we have more control over it, we can be like, hey, do you like Dinosaur Game? Try our next game that mm -hmm. plays an animal, plays a wolf, or plays something else that's related to that first game. We suddenly have a whole ecosystem of people who like our games. And that gives you a much better reputation as a developer where you make one game, people play it, it's good, bad, maybe they forget you exist kind of thing. And as a quick time check, we are just about to hit two hours in. My voice is actually starting to die. One second. <laughs> so, I think we'll begin to wrap things up in maybe like the next ten or so minutes. So, for the chat watching, I'm going to be putting out officially last call for any questions for everyone here regarding the launch. If you have any more questions for design-wise on Path of Titans, uh, feel free to ask. But again, this will be last call. So, uh, getting back to the launcher itself. Um, oh yeah, uh, this is a question that Shark brought up. How does it work on mobile? Is it just an app on the App Store? Yeah, so the the current approach we want to do is mobile. We originally wanted to launch on Google Play, and then we found out that we get zero support on Google Play. <laughs> uh, 
uh, for, you know, the scale we're at. Maybe for like a really big game, we'd get like, they'd, you know, here's your assigned contact person to help you, but we don't have that yet. So what we're actually looking into is current plan is the game is a self-updating APK. So you download the game, you can open the game and the game self-updates. There's no like mobile launcher, right? Okay. We could do one or we could move that into the future, but uh, and and until there's a really huge need for it yet, we don't have that yet. But the good thing is, the platform we can um, we can reuse so much stuff for the mobile version. So we can have you log in with the same account. You can log in exactly where you were as the same dinosaur, you know, and play and play <laughs> as you were. Yeah, and again, like stuff like that. I only that's currently available on Steam, and. Yeah. As you said, like a big part about this was the fact that you want essentially complete control over the launcher, complete control over the features set in it. Yeah, so we can come up with new features that mm-hmm. Steam can't really do because, like for example, maybe the Steam version of your game gets a feature, but the Discord version doesn't, <laughs> right? So that's the that's a huge problem, where all the all the features that our PC players get and mobile players get too, you know, because like. You know, Steam might have Steam achievements, Google Play might have Google achievements or something like that. We could just have our own achievements that just works everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Uh, Vivid Sky asks, are you thinking about having Beasts of Bermuda on the launcher? Um, I think we want to focus on our own games right now and see 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 how well, how well they do and if they're successful. I mean, if other developers want us to help them out we can totally look into it but um if you're a game on steam it's a little bit more work to get up to feature parity right so Mm -hmm. you would have to do a lot more integrations on that because like for example if someone you have a mod and someone uploads it to steam workshop Mm -hmm. it's in the license agreement where you can't download that on a console right and Mm. i've spoken to people at valve about this and they said we don't actually have a problem with consoles using our workshop yet but we haven't got the relationship or haven't developed it out with other console mm. manufacturers. Yeah. So you have a problem where all these things are in this platform and they can only be accessed on that actual um, platform. Yeah. But for us, because we don't use like Steam mods, you upload a mod to us, we can give it on your phone, we can give it on console, we can give it on PC. Mm. And another problem people had with Steam's when I was a modder was the license agreement for the mod gives Steam heaps of rights for your mod, right? Mm-hmm. They take, they reserve every single right. Our modding agreement's going to be a little bit different where we don't own your mod or we don't reserve, we only reserve the minimum amount of rights necessary to host your mod, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, in the Armour community, I had a problem where people didn't want to upload their mod to Steam Workshop because suddenly Valve would own their mod now, you know? Mm-hmm. So we want to protect mods a little bit more where you own your mod, not us, right? That kind of thing. If we want to do something like paid mods, for example, or donate, you can donate and get access to a mod, we could do that. Could be a good idea, could be a bad idea, but we have the flexibility to add that in and it's now on all the platforms, right? So yeah. you might... Making games is actually financially harder, but if you're <laughs> making mods, you could get paid for your work. Mm-hmm. That might be a sustainable job to actually do, right? Yeah. And going back to your point about kind of each platform having like its own different, you know, way of doing things. I guess one question for you, 
like obviously you've been developing the launcher for Path of Titans. Like, yeah. have you spoken? Like, have you actually had like a conversation with each one of the platform uh, platform makers in terms of you know the fact that hey, we're putting this game on there, but we have our own launcher like plan for it. Yeah, so we've talked to you know a couple of the uh, the other platforms. Mainly, it's like console and things like that. But basically, you need to make sure like, hey, can we do this integration like? Basically, all these platforms generally have an API you can connect to. So, like, Steam has an API, and iOS has an API, and stuff like that. And generally, you're like, hey, can we do this shared integration? They, like, say yes or no, or you can change some things. So, currently, shared purchases can work on Windows, Mac, Linux, iOS, and Android. Like, we've checked it all. It's all okay. Consoles we're looking into, but as soon as we figure that out, I'm hoping they let us, and we can just do shared purchases on everything. And that'll that'll be awesome. That'll be like a a new standard buy game, and you have it everywhere. You know what I mean? That's like a mm-hmm. it's a huge barrier because, for example, for Xbox, you can only do a shared purchase if they buy it on the Microsoft Store, right? And we all know that as great as Microsoft is, Steam's better than the Microsoft Store, like in features mm-hmm. and frame rate and settings and things like that. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that point because I think that's going to be. Whenever we're talking about having your own exclusive platform or launcher, I think that's always going to be one of those hills you have to climb is convincing people, hey, you know, use this launcher. Why should I use it when I have Steam? Why I have Epic or whatever? Yeah, so the the approach we kind of take to that is we're, we're using this for games we make or own. So, for example, unless we put our game on Steam, you can't buy it on Steam, right? So, mm-hmm. if you if you care about the game enough, you'll you'll download our launcher to play it. We'll make mm-hmm. it as easy as possible for you to get it. If you don't care about our game enough to download something, like it may not be a you know a, a, a interested customer anyway, right? If you download it and you have a terrible experience, like let us know, we'll refund you. And you can uninstall it, right? But the idea is, we do want to be pro-consumer as much as possible, right? Mm-hmm. If, um, yeah, so that's that's mm-hmm. basically the goal, right? If you're doing an Epic Game Store where you're pulling exclusives from other platforms, and people are being lied to, they're upset, right? So if you go look at YouTube comments for some of the games, they're like, if it's on Epic, I won't buy it. Like, I'd rather buy a console and buy the game on console to, you know, not not spend money, but. The, the data really shows that if customers care about your game, they'll download the platform. And if we can make it as easy as possible for you to install, uninstall, and use, they're okay with it. If it's hard and it's difficult and broken, so like Rockstar Games, for example, where they re-actively re-added their launcher to previous games, mm-hmm. where people can't launch the game because the launcher's broken, that really pisses people off and you really lose customers. And we're really aware of of not doing that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was me, but also my system decided to start popping things up while we're in the middle of the chat. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah. And that, I think, is very tricky, like, when you're trying to have all this stuff going on with these different platforms. <laughs> I know, it just yeah. completely like, threw me off my game there. But there's one thing that I wanted to bring up with regards to having your own platform that I'm sure somebody has already Somebody's probably already asked you with the game itself, I want to bring up here. Are you going to have any kind of copy protection on your own launcher? Um, is that like DRM? Yeah. So, 
the the way we see it is with the the only minimal DRM that's needed is some kind of like basic authentication check, right? Like mm-hmm. that's that Steam does, right? Really basic stuff. Mm-hmm. Stuff like Denuvo or other hard forms of DRM, yeah. we just don't want to go anywhere near. We don't want to touch it with a ten foot pole, right? So like, mm-hmm. we don't see any of that kind of stuff. Like it ruins the performance of games. It causes a bunch of problems. It causes like people can't like you can launch the game without the launcher, for example, right? So you can not have the launcher open and launch the game directly and just log in through the game and play the game still without it even running, right? So it's mm-hmm. not even a Rockstar game situation where you launch the game and it forces you to launch the launcher and then you can only play through that. We, you know, some people might just want to keep it closed for performance reasons or some other reason, but you can totally do that and it still works, right? The launch is more of like a convenience thing for like updating mm-hmm. the game and stuff like that. Yeah. And but again, in terms you... of piracy... Yeah. Uh, I'll, let, I'll let you talk, but I wanted to talk about piracy on mobile real quick um, okay. because I think there was like Android piracy rate is like 90% and I think it's like 30 to 40% on iOS. So that's like some really interesting thing to talk about, but uh, go on. I was just about to say the whole point about copy protection, again, that is another major factor that has become one of those things people talk about that you really do have to consider when you're trying to release your game. Yeah, and I think um, Epic Game Store has a couple of problems right now mm-hmm. where you can copy and paste a game to another folder, log out of the Epic Game Store, mm-hmm. log in with an account that doesn't own the game, and it just works, you know, accidentally. So it is something to think about. Another problem I want to bring up is if you have a mobile game, for example, and the mobile game downloads like additional content from a remote server or something like that, if you have 90% piracy rate on the mobile version, for example, Pirates can actually cost you four times the amount of money uh, for bandwidth costs. Oh, jeez! From the from the online service, right? So if you have a single player game, if it's pirated, they use torrent or something like that, and it costs you nothing. Like piracy costs you nothing, you know, if you're not including the missed sales thing, right? Yeah. If you have an online service game, piracy could cost you in bandwidth and hosting and other fees for your online service, where mm-hmm. you might actually lose four times the amount you get a server bill four times the amount of income you've had yeah. right and so that's important to us and yeah go on i was going to say another possible issue again because the fact that you're supporting cross-platform play if one of those platforms isn't secure somebody could let's say download like the mobile version hack or crack it give them all kinds of features and additional uh, options and then logs onto the PC version and then completely wreck things there for people. Yeah, like they could root their phone or something like that, or yeah. you could have um, somebody cheat and affect the experience of a console user, right? And yeah. consoles traditionally pretty locked down in terms of cheating and stuff like that, you know, like mm-hmm. very locked experience and hard to cheat on, right? So one of the other things is just making sure that doesn't happen. And we have it easy because we're doing a multiplayer game. If you have yeah. a single-player game, that piracy stuff is really hard to patch and the mm-hmm. solution to piracy is make your gameplay experience better than the pirated version right if you use denuvo mm-hmm. or some other drm thing if the, the the drm version runs slower you've lost all of your customers right like or, or worse the launcher doesn't even right so they pirate the game like a rockstar game or something <laughs> launcher doesn't work i'm gonna pirate it now when i would have bought it that's not including the I didn't want to buy it, people, that wouldn't buy it anyway. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and again, like that's always been one of the major points when we talk about launchers and copy protection is that a lot of the consumers will turn away from these features, not because they don't want the game, because they don't want to deal with that additional hassle. Exactly, and that's one of the reasons why we wanted to try and launch it first mm-hmm. instead of just going on Steam, because if, for example, if we had the launcher inside Steam, I feel like that would be a terrible experience. Like, we're all familiar with <laughs> you launch Steam, and then Steam launches Uplay, and Uplay launches the Epic Games Store, <laughs> yes. and then Rainbow Six Siege opens up or something like that. I'm sure we've all had that experience, and that is really terrible and not fun. Mm-hmm. And a few questions from Chad. All of us has a multiplayer going to war. I, I'm not sure what that means. I mean, the game is going to be, like, online scale, so it's going to be just you know, connecting to the servers. And so yep. one interesting thing I can talk about multiplayer is there's two ways of designing it, right? So if you, if you ever played a game that has a serverless model, yeah. right? And there's a model where is you don't have a server list and you hit play and you get it and play, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the solution we want to use for official servers is you might group up with your friends and you hit play, there's no server list. We'll figure out okay. what server has the lowest ping, what server your friends are on, mm-hmm. and match you on the best server, right? Like, mm-hmm. we might want to spin up a server on demand because they all might be full, right? So that's yeah. a very player experience aware problem. Uh, if you have a serverless model, you have 200 servers, you have one person on every single server, right? <laughs> yeah. Only those people were all on the same server you could actually have a game experience happen, right? Yeah. So we selectively monitor the server's performance, like tick rate and stuff like that, and we try to put you on the best server because you randomly clicking a name, you can't figure out where the server is or how well it's running, all these things. Yeah. We can go figure that out for you and try to get you the best experience, and that's one of the main goals for official servers. Yeah. And you also save a lot of money where you're not paying for servers you don't need, uh, things like that, you can solve a lot of problems with things yeah. like that. And again, like I guess going to like Kyle's point, like consoles don't normally deal with serverless. You know, you hit exactly. start, take quick play, bing, bang, boom, you're playing a game with people. And again, like this is one of those very fascinating topics that I think, as you were saying earlier, regarding like using cross-platform play as kind of like the future for multiplayer, it's going to be something that's going to come up more in conversation with developers trying to hit every platform available yeah so one of the problems like if you have a traditional survival game like DayZ, for example where you might join a specific server and you might have a loot crate on that server Mm -hmm. and the server goes down you can't access your loot crate stuff like that we really want to be changing the game design so this stuff is fault tolerant right so that loot crate can be transferred to another server if it goes down or you know, you can play on a different server if that stuff goes down. Because otherwise, the problem we have is if all your stuff is only on one server, if that server goes down, you've lost all your dinosaur, you've lost oh, yeah. your crate. And people get really pissed off. And that what? server might just be laggy. Mm-hmm. So the bit we change, intentionally change our game design where stuff can be moved between servers. So if you have a bad experience, you can move all your stuff to a different server seamlessly and. Mm-hmm. There's stuff you can't do if you do that kind of gameplay design, right? Where if you have like a DayZ scenario, you know, different servers have different economies of of how much loot there is and how much money people have and things like that. So you have to specifically engineer your game in a way where multiplayer (laughs) is fault tolerant. So this server could be deleted, it could be spun up, you're not paying for it if it's empty. There's not like 
one person playing in 200 empty slots kind of thing. Yeah. And again, like, as we've said, like, over and over for the section, like, a lot of the issues that we're talking about, this is in a nutshell why people stay on Steam, or why they're looking at Epic, to kind of handle all this, like, quote-unquote busy work for their game, and just focus on the design of it. But it is something that you really do have to think about if you're trying to go all in on a multiplayer design. Yeah, exactly. And if you're going to do any cross-platform stuff, because, like, mm -hmm. Epic's working on some cross-platform, cross-stuff, mm -hmm. cross-store purchase, uh, like, back-end stuff, but they don't have all the features in it yet. And if you need these features, if you need for you to log onto your phone and then log out and log into Steam, <laughs> or even sometimes you have to do these features even if you're on Steam, right? So Steam gives you limited amount of the stuff and it doesn't carry over to console, right? So if you want cross-platform, cross-progression stuff, you will either have to buy someone else's solution to this stuff or you have to make some, make it yourself. Yep. And I think to Shark's question, so you're applying all the chests, loot drops, etc. to the player's save files, and then that's transferable to the other servers? Yeah, so what we, we have a system where all the official servers use a shared database, so everything can carry between them. Unofficial servers get their own database, because they yeah. might change game balance. That's what I was just thinking, yeah. You, you, don't, you don't want somebody... Like editing their server and giving this dinosaur a thousand attack and running around and, and unlocking everything. Go right? to the official mode so, with that character. So like authority, authority is a bit of a problem. So making sure someone doesn't edit their server and get full everything. Like World of Warcraft don't doesn't let you host your own servers because somebody would edit it and be like, okay, when you log in, you get a billion gold, and then yeah. they go log on to the official server. So it's split there. But mm -hmm. if you're an unofficial server host, you can hive two unofficial servers together or three, for example. So they all connect to the same database, so you can build your own community around our game and host your own server with your own rules and settings and stuff, and you can hive those servers yourself, and we give you the tools to do that. Yeah. And it sounds like from talking with you, Michael, that uh, you've done a lot in terms of kind of like front-loading some of these potential solutions and trying to figure out where all these problems were during development. And again, you really need to do that with a game like this. Because as we've said many times over, like these issues, if they show up day one of launch, your game is pretty much going to be dead on arrival at that point. Yeah, so the, the bit we figured out is we need to do simulated load tests of a million people, right? What happens if a million people try to download our game at the same time? What happens is everyone tries to log in the same server at the same time? Um, because... If your game, if people can't play for the first week, you're dead, right? Your game's only new yeah. once, and if people can't, like, Diablo 3, Era 37, or something like that, it can kill off all of your sales for a multiplayer game, right? That you don't, you're not fighting this issue when you're a single player. Um, and another problem we've engineered recently was DDoS protection. So, like, um, mm -hmm. we actually use a system similar to how Steam does relaying of network traffic, where you can't DDoS a game server, you can only DDoS the, like, uh, a proxy server or something like that between you and the game server. So we've thought about, like, people doing denial of service attacks and all sorts of different angles, uh, consumer privacy and all sorts of things to make sure that the game can be stable as possible before launch. Mm-hmm. All right. 
Uh, Fang Grin asks, will it be possible to see all the stats on an unofficial server before you join? Yeah, so uh, one of the things I think a game called Squad does is they they pipe out a lot of server performance stuff to a server list. So we'll have a server list for unofficial servers. Okay. But we wanted to let you know, like, for example, someone might think that herbivores are stupid and they should only be running away from carnivores and that they're a food source and they're not like a valid class to play as, right? And they might edit their server and be like, okay, buff all the carnivores, nerf all the herbivores. If you go join that server, we need to let you know, hey, here's all the adjustments yeah. that have made. Do you, do you want to play on this thing, right? Like, this has the Hello Kitty Rainbow Adventure mod. Are you sure you want to play <laughs> on this server? Because you could join it, think it's the original game, become invested, and your experience is ruined. You blame us, the game, not the unofficial server, by default, right? So, like, mm -hmm. a lot of, like, you know, Super Mario Maker, for example, like, some of the levels, people go play someone's level and they just die every single second, and they're like, the game's terrible. Yeah. And they don't realize that, hey, this is just a user-created level. This is not how we intended the game to actually... And you've got to warn people, because your reviews will tank as well, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. And, again, it's one of those things that you don't see a problem on the console side, because there are no unofficial servers or unofficial games like that. Yeah, you can't host your own, you know, server on a console and have all these changes and things like that. Yeah. Uh, let me see... Alright, I think we can begin to wrap things up. Is there anything regarding developing the platform or the launcher that we didn't touch on yet? Um, I, I'll just say one thing. It's it's not cheap. You know what I mean? Like, if you want to pay somebody, like, we've really spent, you know, almost as much money we've made on the crowdfunding on the platform. Mm -hmm. We haven't spent any of the crowdfunding money on the platform. That's all going into the game, but we spent our own finances on the platform beforehand kind of thing right mm -hmm. um yeah. so 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 that's an important thing it's expensive <laughs> it's do it's doable though right like people think that they need to have a hundred million dollars to do this thing you don't need to it depends on the scale of the game and what you're trying to do you know what i mean mm -hmm. you know you might not even do a launcher you might just do a um a self-updating game for example that you just you add a you might have a small indie game where you do a payment processor on your website, people download and play. You might do something small. But the option is there, for example, just to let people know. Alright. Well, I think with that, since we are almost at two and a half hours in, I think this will probably be a good time to wrap things up. And again, the game is not even out yet, so it will be great to catch up with you in a few months, especially once the game actually comes out for people to test and kind of see how things have changed or shifted when you have all eyes on the game yeah we want to see like you know how many people are like oh i don't want to download another launcher how many people are like oh this is awesome mm -hmm. how many people are like oh this didn't work you know very interested in seeing how it works and teams working really hard to make sure that as much of it works before possible and mm -hmm. doing because you can do a launch, right? And you can do a hard launch where everyone, like million people, play your game at once. Mm -hmm. And you can do some kind of a soft rollout launch where you have so many few thousand people and you scale up kind of thing to make sure that it's actually tested. Yeah. You know, and actually doesn't catch fire. Mm -hmm. That's very important. You want your game to get set on fire, people. There's your uh, final game dev tip for the cast. But, uh, Mike, it's been a pleasure hanging out with you this afternoon. And 
it definitely seems like you guys know what you're doing. You have a solid plan for you want Path of Titans to be. Yeah, we've spent like a number of years thinking about all of these things. You know, it's not. You know, I think people they they underestimate how much work and planning you have to actually do to launch your own game or launch your own platform. Like, there's so many things that. For example, you go play Destiny, for example, and you're like, "Well, why does, why, what, why, if I buy a skin for my gun, why does it do this?" And you have to understand that developers have thought about that for hundreds of thousands of hours, mm-hmm. or they might not have thought about it at all, right? And that's something to think about of like why they made this decision or why they did it in a certain way. So if you watch any of the other game wisdom streams and casts, you can dive into all those different decisions people make. Oh, yeah. And again, it's a fascinating topic. It's one that we never run out of topics when it comes to talking about game design. I mean, we even came with, I think, three or four, like, sub-podcasts things we could do in the future. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. We could talk about each one of those things. Like, we could talk about uh, Android piracy for, like, another three hours, for example, and solutions to that and things like that. Mm Mm-hmm. But I think with that, uh, before we get to my final question, for people watching us live recording right now, if they want to follow the game or follow you on social media, uh, do you have any place you'd like to plug right now? Uh, just uh, pathotitans.com and elderandgames.com slash dot. And um, we're also working on hosting a podcast just about making the platform in our games, just to give a, a user audience a little bit behind the scenes of what problems we run into for example like when making a game you might find that 15 percent of your time is actually making the game and the rest is doing accounting and doing all these other random stuff that you didn't think you'd be doing (laughs) when you're actually making the game that making the game is actually a small part of the whole process you know there's everything else connected to that Mm -hmm. and again all this stuff you don't really think about from the consumer side and for a lot of first-time developers, they can easily be overwhelmed when it comes to these kinds of considerations. Yeah, you have to break it down to small manageable problems. You know, like one of the <laughs> the problems we had was there's 22,000 Android phones, for example, right? Mm-hmm. We're targeting about 10,000 of them, right, out of the 22,000. And you might not be able to buy 10,000 different phones to test your game on every single one of them, right? So versus like ios there's like 10 or 20 or something like that so things to think about when you're making your game um to make sure yeah things work out Mm -hmm. so i guess with that my final question for you is do you have anything you like to say to the fans watch i know we have quite a few of them watching today live but game wisdom fans or path of titans fans or both (laughs) Uh, I have my regular, so we have a whole lot of yours on for the chat. So do you have anything you'd like to say to Ty Ribbon on our cast? Okay, so if you're interested in making your own game, you should definitely give it a shot. You should, like every All the resources you need to make your own games or learn how to do this stuff is on YouTube, right? Like you don't necessarily need a game development degree or all this other stuff. You can actually learn this stuff yourself right it's totally up to you you actually have to put the effort in right like that's that's the important part like values given out for free everywhere so often so much like it's it's never been easier to make a game you know what i mean so mm-hmm. you should definitely look into it um 
and definitely don't make a really large game when you first start out. <laughs> yes. All right. So with that, we are going to wrap things up for the cast. Again, Michael, it has been a pleasure hanging out with you. Best of luck with Path of Titans, and I'm sure, again, we'll be talking in the future. Awesome. Thanks a lot. I'll catch you later. All right. So for everyone watching, we're going to end the cast here. If you're watching this live right now, be sure to check out our Discord and Patreon link down below. Come back for daily discussions on game design here and on game wisdom, where is the art and science of games. You can follow me on Twitter at GWBicer. And we do our nightly streams around 9930 EST when we play games. But, oh, uh, one last question for you. Uh, regarding, like, your streams on YouTube, like, when do you do your stuff? Um, we don't have set schedules, oh. but we pretty much do them every single day. Um, we do. We try to do a podcast episode, like, once every week or two weeks or something like that. But, uh, basically, YouTube rewards daily content uploads, so everybody should take advantage of that and try to upload once a day if possible. Alright. And if you are a developer working on your own game in the future or want to talk game design, we are always looking for future guests for our live and recorded casts. But that is going to do it for today. So once again, thank you everybody for coming out and hope to see you on future casts or on our Discord channel. But until next time, have a great day.